The Expats is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. Find out more at albertapodcastnetwork.com. I should also tell you, as I did in the last episode, that the series finale of The Expats starts with a two-part episode, the first of which comes out on March 26th. It's been an amazing three years of hearing stories of Canadians living abroad, but it's time for me to focus my energy on other projects. To those of you who've listened, you have my heartfelt thanks, and to those of you I've interviewed, thank you so much for sharing your stories. If you're feeling sad, happy, introspective, or you just want to reach out and tell me about your listening experience with the expats, I'd love to hear from you. Please email info at expatspodcast.ca, hit me up on Twitter at expatspodcast, or my own personal Twitter account at bingofuel, or leave a comment on our Facebook page. Most Canadians are taught about Rwanda in social studies classes. When I was in junior high and high school, we started hearing about Hutus and Tutsis. The Rwandan genocide took the lives of an estimated 500,000 to 1 million people in just 100 days between April and July in 1994. It's been almost 24 years since the Rwandan genocide and the African country has bounced back. I'm quoting from a Huffington Post article here. This small African country of about 12 million inhabitants, encompassing a geographic area roughly the size of Maryland, has made a remarkable economic turnaround over the course of the past two decades. The country now boasts intra-regional trade and service delivery, urban design innovation, and efficient transport links. It's positioned itself as an attractive destination for foreign investment and business ventures. Remarkably, there is free Wi-Fi, on city buses in Kigali, the country's capital. Join me as I chat with a lawyer who found tremendous beauty and incredible experiences in Rwanda and Africa on The Expats. Welcome to The Expats. I'm your host, Adam Rosenhart, based out of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Armed with a law degree, Melissa McKay found opportunities working abroad as a human rights lawyer. With a particular fondness for Africa, she's been quite fortunate to have seen so much of the continent. I lived in South Africa, and while I was in South Africa, I did this giant backpacking trip that I went all the way down from Cape Town to Orisha, Tanzania. And uh, so that was just traveling, but then I went back to Africa in October or November of last year. I went to Rwanda, and so I was working there for a little bit, and I was actually uh, consulting on a Canadian development project there. Okay. And uh, so it was it was really interesting work, and like I love Rwanda. Um, it was kind of funny because I... I feel like everyone still has this very specific idea of Rwanda just because the only reason Westerners really have heard of Rwanda for the most part is because of the genocide. And so, you know, people have this idea of Rwanda as this place that suffered this huge tragedy. And so I think a lot of people assume that the country is still kind of in this bad state or something like that. But yeah. it's honestly one of the most beautiful countries I've ever been to. Really? Um 
it's the cleanest country I've ever been to. And I was speaking with people before moving there and like they kept saying to me, they're like, you won't know until you get there, but it's so clean. And I got there and I was like, I understand exactly what everyone was saying. Like it's, there are people whose jobs are to just go through the streets and like clean up the leaves that have fallen and sweep them up and that kind of thing. Um, it's, it's really clean and it's just so beautiful and so green. Yeah. And like perfect weather. It was, yeah, it's a beautiful country. Yeah, I think often, you know, Westerners would associate the, I mean, certainly the genocide, but also like dry, arid country. I think, I, I mean, even I, I've been watching Planet Earth 2 recently, and and although Africa is is striking and stunning, it, it looks dry all the time. Yeah, it's really funny. I mean, like, general, it's, I guess, so the first country I went abroad to was South Africa. And uh, as a kid, like, my favorite movie was The Lion King. And <laughs> so I don't know if that was what really, I was drawn to Africa because I love animals and I wanted to go on safari. And I was like, this seems like a great idea. Um, but it's always been the continent that's really spoken to me the most. And I don't know if it's been on, like, travels you've done or if other people you've spoken with, they just have a certain place that really kind of speaks to them. And for me, Africa is really that place. And until you go there and you go to a lot of it, like it's, it's a huge continent. Um, and I think people often will like generalize it. So yeah, you get an idea and you go, I know Africa has deserts. It must be a really dry place. And it's like definitely deserts, but then there's just so much more to it than that. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's my favorite continent without a doubt. But yeah, it's interesting. I've spoken with, um, I've spoken with a Canadian couple who was living in Kenya, uh, the the husband was working for the U- United Nations, I believe, and then I've had friends who have uh, have hiked Kilimanjaro, and I I think what seems to come out of all of their experiences in Africa is that there is a real, um, and I you know, I'm a I'm a pragmatist and and uh, I like to consider myself someone who believes in science, but there's a real energy there that you don't experience in other places in the world. And there's really no, I never get an explanation of anything more than that. It just feels amazing to visit and to spend time there. Yeah. I think that part of it is just, it's a very grounding and maybe humbling place to visit is what I find by it. Especially when you do, I mean, you meet people in Africa and they're so friendly. And so like, it can be a bit much at times if you're in a smaller center, which I, in Rwanda, I was living in a, pretty small village. Um, it was kind of touristy too. So it wasn't like I was the only white person people were seeing, but, um, it was definitely more rare for white people or foreigners to be around, um, which could be a bit much at time because people would just point you out and you are obviously different, but on the whole, like people are so friendly there and, you know, they just, just go out of your their way to talk to you and they'll ask you one of the really funny common questions I'd be walking um, to and from work in Rwanda and people would come up and they'd say hello where are you from how many languages do you speak and that was one of the first questions they always asked me and I was like oh that's I've never been somewhere where people are so interested in the languages and I would tell them like oh I'm well I'm from Canada I speak French and English and I speak a little bit of Polish and uh they would go, I speak eight languages. And I'd go, okay. Yeah. And so then they'd rattle off all these languages. 
and then they'd say something in each of these languages. And it was just like one of these weird, cute interactions that I was just like, that's very cool. And for a lot of the people it was, especially because I was living in this tourist area, um, they wanted to learn different languages so, you know, they could get more jobs, they could work with more different people and that kind of thing. Um, but it was just like a really cool thing and it was really cool that that was how they would always open these conversations. Um, it was just very like, making connections with people across the world was something that they obviously like thought was important and understanding people in the way they were speaking. That's incredible. It sounds like a real point of pride for, for the African people. Yeah. I mean, that was definitely specific to this village in Rwanda. When I was in Kigali, people weren't like that as well. They were so friendly, but they weren't, uh, they weren't like, Hey, how many languages do you speak? Just because <laughs> Kigali is just a much more like international city to begin with. Um, it was it was a striking difference. Like you would go into Kigali and like the fashion in Kigali is crazy. There's so many amazing fashion designers in East Africa. Um, and like they come to New York and they do shows in New York, but they're very locally specific. Um, like their designs are really influenced by where they're from and that kind of thing. Um, and it's, it's really cool to just see this kind of modern capital. Um, yeah, it was, it's honestly like if people couldn't afford to go to Rwanda and visit, it's just, it's so beautiful and there's so many cool things to see there. Is it, I mean, I always, for some reason, because I'm totally ignorant of, of what Africa is like, assume that, uh, that the, even some of the major cities don't have the same amenities, the same kind of technology or, or infrastructure that we have in the Western world. Am, am I full of shit? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sure there are some capitals that are more like that. Like I remember I didn't go, but when I lived in South Africa, I had a lot of friends who went to Maputo and they kind of were like, yeah, Maputo is like pretty run down. I can't, you know, say whether or not that's the case. Um, I'm trying to think of most, of, like most of the African capitals I visited are pretty, they're, they're good. Um, and you know, like the village that I lived in, Rwanda, it's called Masanze. And so it's right at the base of the Volcanoes National Park, so close to the border of the DRC. Yeah. And so we there, we definitely, we had load shedding um, and our internet was terrible. I think that was the most frustrating thing. I was living with a German PhD uh, guerrilla researcher there and she had been living there for eight years already. And, uh, like, she would be like, we'll go for weeks and we'll have perfect internet and I can stream videos, I can Skype with my family at home, and then it'll just die. And you never know why. Um, but within the capital, I'm, like, it might be, too, the fact that I was in the village and so then whenever I went into the capital, I was like, oh, it's the capital, I'm in a city again, this is fantastic. <laughs> um, but, yeah, in my experiences in Africa and... I've been, how many countries have I been into in Africa? Um, South Africa, Botswana, Zambia, um, Tanzania, Rwanda, Uganda. They've all been pretty, I mean, they're different. Mm -hmm. um, it's not the same organized kind of system that you would expect from North America or Europe or anything like that. Um but I find that they're comfortable and that they're, you can get whatever you need there. It's just you might have to look a bit harder to figure it out and ask in a different way. 
We're going to take just a quick break so I can tell you about our show sponsor today, ATB Financial. ATB is doing something a little different for a certain segment of its customers. If you're an artist, you know that banking can be difficult because your income isn't really traditional. ATB's new branch for arts and culture was built for you. You can finally get your banking done in a way that works for you and the industry you work in. The Branch for Arts and Culture is opening in Edmonton at the beginning of March and in Calgary in the next few months. Visit atb.com slash thebranch for more info. That's atb.com slash thebranch. And now, on with the show. Are, are, the, are there differences between the countries you visit, like market and, and obvious, or, or do... Like, obviously, I, I assume they, they all have kind of their own culture, but in what ways are they different? In what ways are they similar? That's a tough question. They definitely, like, there are major differences. I would say, I mean, South Africa, to me, is just a very, like, if I, I lived in Cape Town, um, and Cape Town is just one of the most international cities I've ever been to. It's, it's my favorite city. Um, but it's a huge mix of people like you'll go out in Cape Town and you'll go to a bar and you'll meet Canadians and you'll meet South Africans. Um, You'll meet people from everywhere. And it's just very cosmopolitan. And to me, Cape Town always felt like I moved there and I was like, Oh, like this is, it's really an easy transition. Um, It's also Cape Town, I guess, just has a different ethnic makeup than other parts of Africa, just because of its history. Um, so that's something that I noticed was just like it's more more diverse groups of people, um, whereas other parts of Africa have, you know, the colonial groups kind of just got out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's less obviously diverse. I mean, there's still definitely diversity between the people and between systems of beliefs and that kind of thing. But that was, I think, as you kind of move up into different parts of Africa, you notice a trend of, Maybe when I was in Rwanda, I definitely was like, oh, yeah, like, it's more rare to see other, like, I'm a white blonde woman walking around in Cape Town. Like, that's a very normal thing to see, whereas in Rwanda, I found that that was a bit less common. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm trying to think, like, each country in Africa, too, I think is just so interesting, and it's hard to get specifically at their differences without having, like, knowledge of their full historical context because there is, you know, that huge history of colonialism in Africa and the way in which colonial powers exited each country really impacted the country's ability to grow and adapt and, you know, recreate their own culture or bring back their own culture. Um, So it's hard to say exactly, you know, what are the most similar things about them? What are the differences? Yeah. Well, let's yeah. ma- let's maybe talk about um, the cultural experiences that you had that that really resonated with you. What were what were some of the things you saw and did that that really sort of filled your cup? Oh man! Well, so in in Rwanda, I think one of the most powerful places I went was Kigali has a genocide memorial museum, um, and it's beautifully done. It's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really, I think anyone who visits Rwanda, they need to be aware of this history, especially like I'm, I'll be 28 in a couple of weeks. And the people who are my age in Rwanda are people who lived through this 
terrible, terrible tragedy. Um, and so, it's, you know, when you go to a country like that, you need to be aware of its history and you need to take time to appreciate its history. And like that museum, it's so well done. It's on top of a hill in Kigali and like they have these stained glass, beautiful windows. And it's kind of, I mean, like it's a bit dark, I guess, because the, there are these beautiful stained glass windows that have been made and they have just like images of skulls are in the stained glass windows. And I could send you a photo because it's, I won't be able to describe it as well as I should, um, but it's it's beautiful and it's heartbreaking and it's just one of those things that I think was really important to experience and appreciate. Yeah. That also might be a bit, you know, my own experiences doing human rights work and, you know, work relating to conflict areas and that kind of thing. It, it speaks to me a lot more. Um, so for Rwanda, that was something that I just found, like, really, really important. Uh, when... When I was just traveling in Tanzania, I went on safari and as part of that, you know, you go into one of the villages um, and it was really, really cute actually. They have like kids that are just, obviously they're doing this because the tourists are in and, you know, they're showing off, but they have these little kids that are just in their classroom and one little kid will point to the board and they'll go through their alphabet and they'll go through their numbers and then they all cheer for each other. <laughs> Um, and like, that's really something that I thought was really cute. And while well, I was in one of the villages too, there was a puppy and I love dogs. So I was just kind of playing with this puppy and the chief of the village, he was like, Oh, do you want the dog? And I was like, Oh yeah, sure. How much? And he actually started trying to sell me this puppy. And I was like, I can't take this dog with me. Like, and it was one of the kids dogs too. It was kind of funny. Um, but yeah, it's um, other cultural experiences that I've really enjoyed. I'm trying to think of. One thing I'm definitely very curious about is is the food. What's the food like in Rwanda? Is it because uh, I've I've had Ethiopian food here in Canada and I love it. So I'm curious about other African cuisine. Oh yeah. Um, so in Rwanda, I wasn't. I mean, like it's a very meat heavy country. Oh. Um, so like one of one of the first nights that I was there, actually, I got taken out by some of the people I worked with and we went to this restaurant called the car wash and it's just a giant pit of barbecues and just meat. Um, and so you just go and plates and plates of meat came out and I felt really bad because one of the people with us was another Canadian and he was a vegetarian. <laughs> um, so I think he just had, uh, now I'm forgetting how it's called, um, but he just had kind of like the bread on the side and that was it because it was just plates and plates of meat. Wow. Um, and so they're really big on like kebabs, but just like, you know, like over a grill kind of thing. And then most places will have kind of like French cafe kind of coffee shops were really popular. There was actually in Kigali a really cool coffee shop that was run by a Canadian, um, but they were empowering local women to develop this business and local women were actually in charge of it and that kind of thing. That's kind of off track of the actual Rwandan food. Um, but I found Rwanda's food to be very meat and potatoes, kind of heavy, heavy food, hmm. um, which I was surprised by, but uh, I guess it's, it was similar to Tanzania like that as well. And then further south in Africa, like if you go to South Africa, you get any kind of food imaginable. Um, 
it was less kind of like I'm thinking about Ethiopian food as well. And I found that to be a lot spicier in that kind of thing. Yeah. Although one of the things in Rwanda that like they put this out everywhere and some people love it and some people hate it. And I loved it. And it's just like this chili oil. Ooh. And it's this tiny little bottle. It's like, it looks like an eyedropper bottle. And it's just this really, really intense chili oil. And you just need a couple drops. Otherwise, like your, your tongue will actually melt off because it's so <laughs> hot. Um, but people in Rwanda love it. And then if you're a foreigner and you put that on, they're like so excited to see you eating it. They're like, oh my God, you're like actually going to eat that? Okay. Um, so you get a bit of street cred if you do that. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love that. Um, tell me a little bit about the way that Canadians are perceived in Rwanda, because obviously we were involved in the UN intervention there. Uh, are we well regarded as, as a country? I think we are. I think it's actually one of the few countries that I've been to where I've had to, um, like if you're an American, you can just, show up in Rwanda and get your visa there. But as a Canadian, you actually need a 30-day visa that you've applied to before you leave. Um, so before you travel to Rwanda, you would have had to contact the embassy already. And I found that really weird um, that Americans aren't required to get this visa, but Canadians were. But once I was there, I think there are still a lot of Canadians that do a lot of good work. Um, so a friend of mine there actually runs this organization, um, and she's Canadian. She runs this organization about empowering girls, empowering women, um, and kind of trying to create more gender equality in Rwanda from the ground up and starting with younger women. Uh, so I think for the most part, people do still see Canada pretty positively. One of the things you know, like I've spoken about how important it is to appreciate the genocide in Rwanda. It's also one of those things that you don't, I don't know if this is obvious to people or not, but it's one of those things that you don't just bring up very casually with people. Yeah. Um, you know, like it's, it's obviously a touchy subject and so many people are still affected by it, um, you know, directly affected by it. So even though, you know, like we were in, Canada was involved in the UN peacekeeping mission and Dyer was in charge of that mission. I never found that people really linked Canada and that together. And I don't know if that was just an unwillingness maybe, you know, because why would they want to be like, Oh yeah, Canada, you're, you led the peacekeeping mission that was trying to help prevent the genocide that a lot of people criticized for not having done enough. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so I think a lot of people didn't necessarily link Canada to that aspect. But I mean, I didn't, I didn't have anyone ever say anything like, oh, Canada, they're the worst. <laughs> it was definitely just more the general, um, the usual experience of people being like, oh, Canadians, like, you're generally nice and polite and you speak French and English, right? And then you kind of go, well, some people do. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was, overall positive i would say what advice would you give to uh canadians who are who are considering an expat experience or a travel experience in africa how do how should they prepare what should they consider oh man um one important thing and this is i would say a similarity across all of africa um and i'm always i'm always very cautious to generalize anything but this one i think i can generalize and that's the treatment of time in africa is very different than in North America or in Europe. Um, 
just generally, you know, you make a meeting in Africa and it, people aren't going to show up at the right time or they'll show up a bit early or everyone shows up except one person, but you can't get started yet or they show up and you've got to have breakfast before you start your meetings, but then you all have breakfast together. Um, so you have to really be flexible in that regard. It's, you know, you're never going to get people to run on a North American schedule. So mm. you just have to go with it. And that's something that's really hard for me. Like, you know, as a lawyer, we're taught about billable hours and counting how many minutes you're working on each thing. Um, so for me, it was always like, okay, I uh, just got to let it go and go with it. Um, so that's, I mean, an important thing to consider. Um, just general flexibility, even with making plans. Um, I find it's often a lot easier to organize anything once you're on the ground and once you're actually speaking with people. Uh, I think people appreciate more, you know, than an email trying to sort things out if you're there and you're on the ground, which can make things very, very tricky uh, if you're trying to get housing set up or something like that. But whenever I move anywhere, I kind of wait until I get to the place and then I look for an apartment or hmm. that kind of thing. As long as I have a job set up, then I'm like, okay, I can go there and the rest of everything else will fall into place. Um, my other advice would just be to go because I love <laughs> it. Um, and, you know, like I obviously haven't been everywhere in Africa and there are huge differences across the continent but like I I really do love it and it is again like you said like there's this energy there's kind of this like humbling nature of visiting um that I think is really valuable do you do you see yourself ever sort of permanently establishing residence in Africa um maybe I'm considering going back next year if I can find a job again like that it's hard for me because so much is dependent on where I can find work and uh, the types of work that I want to do specifically kind of lends to moving around quite a bit. Um, I also just, you know, I I moved around quite a bit in Canada when I was younger too. And so the idea of settling down somewhere permanent is still like so far away in my head that I don't know if I would ever be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to live there 100% for sure. Um, I would like if I had all the money in the world and I could do anything I wanted, I would definitely buy a house in Cape town uh, <laughs> that I could have and go to whenever I wanted. But, uh, but yeah, as for permanent, I feel like I'm still a bit of a rolling stone right now. I don't want to lock myself in. <laughs> that concludes this episode of the expats. We're nearing the end of this show's run. So if you'd like to reach out, share your thoughts about how listening in on Canadians living abroad has affected you email me at info at expatspodcast.ca. I've been your host, Adam Rosenhart, and I'd really love to hear from you. You can also leave a comment on Twitter and Facebook. Just search for Expats Podcast. The Expats is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. If you're looking for a playlist where you can sample other great Alberta Podcast Network shows, visit gradio.ca. And if you happen to be a fan of terrific listener-supported community radio in Alberta, like me, you should download the CKUA app where you'll be able to access all Alberta Podcast Network shows directly. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch up again in a couple of weeks.